to What Would You Say You Do Here? This is Season 2, Episode 8, and I am Katie Sally. And I'm Aaron Zerlet. And today we have with us... Tony Burian. And Tony is a, ooh, the Director of Engineering now, right? I am. I am the Director of Engineering over Infrastructure at CallRail. Very nice. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about uh, engineering and uh, product management collaboration, uh, specifically engineering management and product management collaboration. So before we get into that, uh, Tony, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking, I think uh, you you brought this to my attention. This is the uh, slow and low nice. or the low and slow, um, just old fashioned in a bottle. So I've, I've been mixing this up with uh, the, uh, the proof brand that you bring your own liquor, but this, uh, I thought I'd drink this just for you. Very nice. It might be cheating, but sometimes you just don't feel like muddling sugar or peeling oranges or anything Yeah, I like didn't, that. I didn't have a simple syrup and sometimes I like to mix it up. But... I'm just going to go on the record and say, I think we really need to get a cocktail sponsorship on this show. <laughs> we really, really should. <laughs> yeah. I thought about like mixing it up and doing like, I have a good, uh, Angel's Envy Rye, and I was going to mix it with the proof, and I was just like, "Hey, here's here's two brands you could go with a with a right. sponsorship opportunity." Nice. We need to work on that next. <laughs> Aaron, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a very uh, murky uh, double IPA from Academia Brewing up in uh, over in Athens. I was there this past weekend for my sister's graduation from University of Georgia. Oh, very cool. uh, yeah, it's called the Parallax Project Volume One. That's a very fancy name for a beer. It's a long name. And Katie, what are you drinking this evening? Um, I have uncapped the finest bottle of grape Gatorade Zero that I could find. Uh, it's not aged very long. I actually just got it today. So it's fairly, you know, raw. It's very young vintage. But... Okay. Tony, why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh, how you got into uh, engineering management? Oh, I think uh, this is probably a pretty boring answer the tale as old as time i was uh straight out of college or, or, or soon after that i, I joined uh, i joined a company as a web developer and over the course of events there i developed an application that took the company to the next level and then i was tasked with building a team around around me and around the product itself so i was responsible for hiring and because i was responsible for hiring i was ultimately put in charge of the team and whether it just came from there, whether I liked it or not. I was I was the engineer, and then I was <laughs> the engineering manager, and I stopped being an engineer. Um, Fortunately, you seemed to like it, so that works out well. Yeah, yeah, it it, it worked out well. I I did the uh, you know the gut check and left engineering management to see. It's like, do I really enjoy as much as I as I say I do? And went back to being an individual contributor for a while, and ended up getting put back into engineering management and it just kept on happening over and over and over again where I felt like I couldn't uh, really resist the calling anymore. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm an engineering manager and I just now develop in my free time. Nice. Well, what did you, uh, what did you study in college? I have a lot of school. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I have a, I have a mass, actually, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in business management and another one in computer information systems as well as a minor in international economics and trade 
but I also have a master's in business operations and marketing. So, wow. Um, I went through a lot of school. You went through a lot of school. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Student loans though, man. <laughs> I, I, I say I go through a lot. Really, I just went through, I paid for a lot of school. Well, so I know a lot about you because we've been working together for uh, several years now, but for our listeners who do not know you quite so well, what do you do in your free time? Tony's an interesting guy. Uh, what free time I have is... He goes, he, he does a lot of ballet and uh, <laughs> um, baseball. Right. Yes, I do a lot of baseball. <laughs> Only one of those two things is true. Um, my daughter does ballet. So right now, as a parent of two, um, a lot of my free time is taken with my kids. So my son plays travel baseball. And so he has practice or lessons four days during the week. And then we're at the tournament every weekend. So that ranges anywhere from half an hour to an hour away on any given weekend. So we spend a lot of time in baseball up until I guess the end of June, and then we'll get two months off. I can see the fear on Aaron's face. He's picturing his future. Nights yeah, and weekends I, just taken up with. We have soccer like one day a week, and that's already a struggle <laughs> for me. So It's coming. Yeah, it's just wait. Travel and academy is kind of like one of those things where it's like just invest your time. My, my daughter does dance, and she was invited to um, do their the academy or the travel version of dance. And, you know, in the... 15 page contract agreement they specifically lay out that this has to be your priority over everything else that if, the, wow. if, she, if she has a conflict that she has to choose the dance company at, over at six at six she, needs to she has to sign a contract wow. she's already got a non-compete at six. yes yes it's a, it's a non-compete <laughs> non at six and my son has a non-compete at 10 that says that he will That's not crazy. he will not play baseball for anybody else not even recreationally because the team depends wow. the, the team depends on him being healthy and not injured so that makes sense doesn't sound so crazy when you break it down like that yeah it makes sense i mean it's, it's it is an investment for the entire family it's all all the families involved so you don't want to say he's up in the pitching rotation that weekend and he goes and plays you know wreck with his friends and breaks his hand then it's like oh well you don't have a picture this weekend so yeah makes sense so i thought uh we'd start a little bit about talking about communication uh i know that's uh for me a big cornerstone of just how i get consensus and how i build relationships uh as a, as a product manager uh i'm just curious to know uh how you view uh communication from the engineering manager side tony and maybe we can start with that I mean, you mentioned it as the cornerstone. I feel like it is the all the stones, the foundation, the arch stone, everything. I feel that it is. Tony, naming different types of stones. Oh, man. I, I, I'll bring you quartz and granite and limestone <laughs> and like, you know, all of it. Um, but I, I feel like it's one of those things that's just fundamental to, to communication between a product manager and an engineering manager and a tech lead um, all the way down to the team. It's... Um, it's, it's how you know you communicate your intentions and your the expectations and you know what the goals are for the company and if you don't if you aren't open and transparent about um, what the goals are and you keep and you don't keep 
essentially everybody in the loop, then things are more likely to fall apart. So, you know, communicate early, communicate often um, is what I'd like to see. I also do find that communication is the very first thing to go away when um, things are going well and people kind of get comfortable. And so it's one of those kind of hokey things where it's like, okay, we've got to start talking more, even though things are going well, because it's more likely to, you're more likely to run into a, a situation where something catastrophic happens because you got too comfortable not communicating with each other. So, and that's normally where I see it is that people generally run into issues because they assume what the communication process is going to be like. They stop talking. It's like, oh, I know what Bob is going to say here. I don't need to check in with him or I know what Katie's going to say. So I don't need to check in with her. And people have this kind of thought in their head of how the conversation will go without actually having those conversations. So, Yeah, that's a, that's a really good thing to point out because I do think a lot of people think about communication as something that you need to do when things are going badly like you know things we have a new project it's not going great let's beef up our communication but in those good times when you think everything is going really well that's when you run the risk of not knowing what page everybody's on um and just kind of like you said assuming that things are going well and maybe they're not maybe they're not going as well as you think they are is there any kind of like structure or framework that you find helpful for ensuring that communication stays lively and active for me it, it's just to really to keep it basic it's uh it's trying to be as transparent as possible and communicate as much information as i can depending on where i got it i mean i'm obviously not going to share things that are tbd or or legally not not allowed to communicate but i find that even if you only have half the information as long as you kind of caveat that with your team and saying this is all the information i have like this project is probably coming down the pipe. You should be aware of it so that they can kind of get ahead of it. Because what I've found is that some of the engineers that I deal with, you know, they might be in the middle of work that, and, and knowing in that additional information of what is coming down the pipe, they're like, okay, well now I can code it. I can code this application to handle multiple instances of X instead of building something that's very specific to what is, is written in the, uh, user story. So it kind of gives everybody context. And those communication channels, you know, happen during stand-up, during grooming, during planning, during one-on-ones, um, trying to get as much information as I can in my various meetings and communicate that to the team as, as soon as I can. What about communication with your product manager? Oh, well, Katie and I have this great, <laughs> great relationship where we talk all the time and we joke all the time about how how easy it is for us to to work together because there there are no there are no secrets there are no surprises um we talk constantly we're always on the same page because we talk constantly and you know we've definitely you know worked with other groups or, or seen other groups that have don't communicate as well and are surprised by by work that has come down the pipe that has derailed their sprint or derailed their quarter because they haven't been you know been communicating as well as we do so and how are you communicating are you are you in slack are you having like one-on-ones frequently or just sort of little side channels at the end of a meeting all the above uh we have weekly 
we have weekly one-on-ones in a formal setting and we slack all the time you know and if i find something that's coming down or i hear something that's coming down the pipe you know i'll grab katie and i'll say hey um what you wanted to get in a slack <laughs> nothing bad yeah always process so, it with nothing uh, bad. <laughs> always always caveat i'll always put that in there because i've i've definitely made the mistake of slacking somebody that works with me and saying hey you got a minute and you know that's the easiest I, way to get I'm, someone to i'm about to give them i'm i'm about to give them high praises and tell them how a good job they've done and they're coming in there thinking they're about to get fired so it, it's just good to kind of frame what the what the conversation is going to be about i think the regular check-ins and then i think on top of that um meeting one-off as needed to discuss problems as they arise and not waiting until the next check-in not waiting till stand up, whatever it is, like, let's just go ahead and, and, you know, get on a meeting really quick and talk something through. Uh, that, I think that really helps us. And also not, um, you know, we, we do talk in Slack, but we also make a, a an effort to have those calls face to face when we were in the office and over hangouts uh, now that we're not. So I think that helps a lot. And it really is about developing the rapport. I mean, like Katie and I have a great working relationship but we have a great personal relationship and we try to carry that to the team as well i mean it helps to kind of know where people's communication and kind of personal baselines are so you can kind of assess how well they're doing you know mentally personally i I definitely don't keep it always professional um, with the people that i i work with i want to make sure that i know how they are personally so that we can kind of like you know, help them if they need it and, and celebrate if they're having a good time. So makes sense. And I think that that helps with the whole um, us versus them thing that, that happens in a lot of organizations with product and engineering, where you're constantly fighting over roadmap space and resources, you know, amongst other teams and, you know, across departments, um, having being on the same page is going to help with that, you know, by just the fact that you both understand what the problems are it's very easy to talk about them when they come up and it, it's, it's helpful to, to present kind of that united front to the team as well. Yeah. And that, and that openness and transparency definitely helps with that because um, you know, our team knows that we're going to tell them as much as, as we can, that we're not withholding any information. And so there's a level of trust there that just kind of goes along with that. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I share a lot of personal things about, myself you know i i'm very transparent and vulnerable if i'm having a bad day so they can feel feel open to communicate when they're having a bad day you know i think it's i think it's a real disservice to a lot of people or a lot of of managers in particular where they always have a strong front they always have to present themselves as a stable um example and that doesn't really kind of allow for any failure to to creep in. Like you'll end up with an individual contributor, a member of your team saying, you know, I can't bring this to my boss because he's he or she seems to have this have it all together and Yeah. I, I don't feel like they can empathize with what I'm going through. Um, where if you are a vulnerable leader and you kind of say, Hey, you know, I have good days and I have bad days then your team is more likely to come to you and say, you know what, I feel like you can relate to what I'm going through. Yeah, and I like that you bring that up. I actually find uh, from the product side, 
I find it pretty hard, I would say, to, to be vulnerable to my engineers. I feel like I have to, to some extent, put on, like, my strong face or, you know, a, a front uh, just to keep things moving along and so people don't get panicked if I am worried about something that's happening. Um, do you find that, do you, do you think that, you know, product managers should also kind of adopt that, that sense of vulnerability with teams? Do you think that will help build trust? I do. I mean, personally, I feel that there's no harm in being vulnerable. I think that that's the way you establish a relationship in the whole playing on the same team kind of aspect. Um, and I think that's, I, I think that's how you do it. It's just like, you're almost like saying we, we are playing this game of this application development together. Like we are, we are playing in an open hand. You see what I've got. I'm not holding any cards back um, as opposed to, you know, a product manager or an engineering manager kind of holding the cards close to their chest and you don't know what's going on. So you can't trust them. So I think that if you kind of put it all on the table, then to some extent, they're not just like working for the benefit of themselves or working for the benefit of the company. They don't want to fail because they don't want to disappoint you as an individual because like you developed that relationship. Yeah, I agree with all of this, uh, I guess, on a, you know, from a foundational uh, level, um, I think I just find it, I personally find it hard to, to do that with engineers. I, I have found that you have to have a balance. You you want to share the reasons behind what you're asking an engineer to do because they really want to know that. They they always want to know the why. Why are we doing this? You know, what what am I contributing here? But you also don't want to put a whole lot of pressure on them. They don't need to know that you've got a year and a half work worth of work planned out because that's going to, you know, make their brains explode. But, you know, if you talk to them about what's coming up in the next few weeks, next few months, next quarter, you know, it's manageable. So so it's like you do have to filter, um, but you should also be open and honest. So it's a little bit of a balancing act. Yeah, I mean, the, the most important thing is to, to establish a relationship that makes sense for the both of you. I mean, for not only the engineer and the product manager or the engineer and the engineering manager or the, the EMs and the PMs, um, because not everybody would feel comfortable being open, right? I'm, I'm not going to go to a uh, individual contributor who is, who has identified that, you know, they're here for nine to five, they're here to get their job done and they're going to go home and, and like kind of escape the realities of work. They don't want to open up. So I'm not going to constantly, you know, roll out my life every single day to them because that's not that's not helpful. That's not the way you you motivate. That's that not who individual. they are. It, it's not like prescriptive across the board. Um, but I do find that most of the people that fit, you know, fit the culture or that I've been successful as an engineering manager, you know, they're 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 generally open to that. I think sometimes you just have to kind of fail in front of them so that they know that as an engineering manager that, you know, you're, you're imperfect and therefore it gives them the, the liberty, the liberty to also be imperfect and to kind of raise those failures and say, Hey, I made a mistake. Um, let's fix it instead of, Hey, I made a mistake. And if I tell you, I'm going to get fired. So, I mean, like you have to create these situations where, um, it's okay to fail. And I think you do that by kind of having an example of failure, 
um, I kind of do this as with with my children as well is that there, there's an opportunity to create controlled failure environments, you know, like give them give them an opportunity to fail in a controlled environment. Um, see how they see, see how they react to that challenge. I like that controlled failure. I think we could all use a little bit more controlled failure to <laughs> learn to be better adults. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I feel like the the first time a, a developer really really messes something up. You know, it goes out to production and it takes things down. You know, there's just that unbelievable panic. They feel so bad, and I'm just like, I really think everybody's got to do it once to learn <laughs> what not to do. Yeah, I mean, we we have our culture is pretty much blameless we have a very blameless post-mortem culture um now oh, if you sure. do it every yeah, single there's... day and every single week and you don't and you, and you don't learn from it learning. then we have a problem yeah. but i think that if if your intention if your intentions were good and you you come out of it being a better developer then i mean we're just gonna count that as an investment yes. Yes. that we don't want to have to make over and over again exactly so. very well said so we have some really good examples here then of Building trust uh, and and strong work, good relationships. Do you have any advice for handling conflict, either either between uh, in, uh, you as an EM and, and engineering uh, team, or between an EM and a PM? I'm not going to say I've never gone through a situation of conflict. I think everybody that that's done this enough times has. I do think that if you have the proper communication cadence that you've been open and transparent with your team, a conflict should never be a surprise, right? Conversations should never come as a surprise. You should know that they're, that they're happy one day and then they're slipping and then it's, it's getting into a problem or that, you know, something isn't quite right because you've been pretty in tune to how they act on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, having those open lines of communication, nothing should come as a surprise. Um, and that's true for for everybody that's that's true for your performance reviews you know those conversations should never never be a surprise for anybody um but you know when when they do arise i i try to be as open and empathetic as possible i mean i don't i believe that in general people are good and people come from a good place so you have to kind of try to figure out what that place is and break down what are they trying to ultimately get at and if i can come out of that with a you know a win-win that's that's great um if, if it has to be a situation where um i have to come out personally as the loser but they get to win and kind of save face and that's great too i mean i i have no problem kind of failing or falling on the sword or you know being the bad guy or being the loser as it were as it were um, I don't believe that engineering management or individual contributor and manager relationships is a zero sum game. So I don't believe that everybody has this. Is, I don't believe that they have to lose so I could win or the company has to win and thereby, thereby making them a loser. So that's good. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely more a contemporary approach, I think, to conflict resolution versus traditional like command and control or like if it's I'm in charge and you listen to me, which is rarer. I would say, think these days, especially within tech companies. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean it. It happens. You do. You do run across your your rock stars who, who yeah, that... are actually very good at what they do. Unfortunately, that doesn't always translate into management, where you're trying to manage other people to get them to your development level or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I do feel like I feel like the in general we are moving more towards um, conflict resolution and and teamwork versus just my way or the highway. I haven't seen one of those managers in a, in a long time. Yeah, and I'm not the end-all, be-all of engineering management. I am learning every single day. So most of the time when there's a conflict, I'm in there trying to learn as well because I don't have the answers. Um, and so I, I just want um, my teammate to know that I'm there to help them, you know, get to a resolution that they are satisfied with. Um, and, to, and to communicate them, you know, what the options are or, you know, how we can get to a situation where even if it's not win-win, at least no one's losing. Um, so speaking of win-win, uh, let's talk about roadmaps. Uh, the product manager alone does not own the roadmap. Uh, you know, it's, it's very much a, a partnership between uh, product and engineering to, to figure out what the right you know, set of features are or the sequencing of all that. Uh, do you have uh, any thoughts on uh, what the EM's role is in helping shape that roadmap? I mean, I think the roadmap, and this is purely dependent on the type of team that this applies to, but for the teams that Katie and I oversee, um, we are a very heavy backend team. Um, so we are telephony, DevOps, infrastructure, data, reporting. Um, those are some of the kind of the apps that we oversee. And because of that, we have a very technical um, roadmap. The product deliverables are primarily in support of other teams in the organization, maybe building out a data retention framework that is purely going to be serving other teams at CallRail, or the tools that we build are in support of capacity planning and growth for the infrastructure. That being said, we don't have external, we don't have a lot of external facing customers. Um, so it does make it a little easier for us to plan out those roadmaps because we, we, are, we are almost exclusively in control of what we need, with the only goal being you know, what are the growth metrics for the company? You know, it's, we plan to grow 30, 40, 50% over the next year. And then we know, well, we're going to be doing a lot of technical debt work. We're going to be doing a lot of capacity planning work. We're going to address um, some of the pitfalls that we know we're going to hit at 2x scale, 3x scale, so that we kind of, we'll get those addressed sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm also, uh, I work on a platform team uh, that's very back-end heavy as well. Uh, so I find the engineering has a really large say as to uh, what sort of like infrastructure investments we're making and um, what kind of tooling we're working on. Um, so yeah, for me, it's 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 very much a, a partnership to understand how we how we need to do that in the right in the right sequence. 
Yeah, I think as long as you can keep that a conversation and not an argument, then you'll you'll come out on top. You know, I've definitely seen it happen where it is an argument and it's just two sides trying to get their stuff first, but it has to be give and take. You have to understand that without the infrastructure, without cleaning up tech debt, the company is not going to succeed. And then engineering needs to understand that without new features that customers are looking for, we're not going to grow the company either. So it it is a balancing act. And I, I do think that it comes back to that communication. You know, if you're constantly communicating, then you're both aware, both sides of the team are aware of what needs to be done, what's coming down the, the road. Um, I think it's a lot easier to get that roadmap into into one coherent plan. Yeah, and, and ultimately, you know, you have the, the company level roadmap, right? The company level goals, they're handed on down in the form of OKRs or whatever the system that um, your company may may use to communicate their company-wide goals. And as long as you can map your work to support one of those OKRs or those business objectives, you know, those are the things that you probably want to tackle first, you know. And that kind of goes with the whole communication and transparency and just being able to roll those messages down um, to the team so that they understand, you know, what they're working on, how it impacts the company's goals and growths. So they feel that they have that sense of ownership, that they are, that they are valued, they're contributing. I'm just wondering, uh, for, I, for either one of you, uh, if you have any ideas for how to, how to go about building a, a strong business case for prioritizing uh, more technical work like tooling or tech debt investment or infrastructure growth. Especially if it is competing with, let's say, feature work, which maybe yeah. maybe isn't uh, something you have to worry about on your team specifically, but I'm sure you you've had to balance those. Yeah, in the past. I mean, we do. Yeah, we do some feature work, but I think I think like Tony said, you know, we we try and tie it back to those business goals. What what is the company trying to accomplish, and how does this you know piece of infrastructure or tech debt cleanup? How does that support that? And sometimes it's you know, it's not a direct correlation. Sometimes it's just something as simple as, well, this other thing that we're going to be doing is going to be driving a lot of support calls. And if we do this, it'll cut back on some. So it's a good investment to make sure that support can keep up with growth, something like that. So I think you just got to keep tying it back to those those goals of the company. Yeah. And as Katie said, it, it is about the investment. And when you, when you communicate in the terms of an investment, you can literally distill it down to cost everything that a support person um, has to tackle with day in and day out has a cost associated to it um, in form of their salary Um, now if you want to say i can translate development hours and it eventually will save you two support engineers um, time per year you can kind of do the math and you can just kind of extrapolate that out to make a a business case. Let's talk about roles and responsibilities. How do you define what is the EM's um, responsibility in terms of how to get things done and how to enforce that process versus the PM? That's a really good question because I think the EM kind of fills in the gaps. I mean, and you also do a lot of this, Katie. We kind of ebb and flow and kind of cover each other's back depending on what is needed 
my primary role as an engineering manager is to ensure the delivery um, from my team. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that they're in a good mental state where their, their capacity is high, their velocity is high. Um, a lot of that is, you know, managing relationships, managing stress, um, really kind of interacting with them on a personal basis to make sure that they don't get burnt out and all of a sudden I have an, I'm down an engineer for a week because he's he or she has to take a mental health day or a week. So it's about kind of guaranteeing capacity. Um, that's a big part of it. Everything works out as long as we guarantee the delivery of, of the team and we kind of keep everybody moving, moving forward and happy. All right. Well, let's talk about the team as a whole. Um, how do you make sure that you carry that good communication and conflict resolution and wonderful relationship between the EM and PM? How do you carry that across to the to the team as a whole? Yeah, I think that's about just going back to the communication. You know, making sure that we're on the same page, that we have a united front. That if there's any conflicts between the EMs and, and PM, that we can re- resolve that. Um, during our normal conversations so that we don't squabble in front of the team. Um, I think that we have to, they have to have faith that um, we are doing the right thing, that we have thought about their personal needs, that we have thought about the business needs, and that we are doing right by all parties involved. I think that if you come out there and you enter a a grooming session or a planning session and you're at odds with one another, people will ultimately end up taking sides and the trust breaks down, the communication breaks down and you're, you you might as well not have had that meeting to begin with. So, Awesome. Well, Tony, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on the show. I think this has been a really good discussion. We've all learned a lot. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm going to definitely focus on more communication through Slack, video chat, uh, phone call, and otherwise going forward. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for today. On that note, I think we'll just uh, sign off and say uh, good night and goodbye to Product Land. All right, Tony. Now you got to say your best goodbye in a, in a language that is not English. Aloha. <laughs> Arrivederci. Adios. (laughs) Something like that.